Hi, I am Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a podcast series that proves that truth can be stranger than fiction. This week's episode, entitled Fantasy Phone, is about my history with a woman named Liana. A meet-cute at an artist conference leads to a relationship with a provocative sculptor who starts her own, even more provocative business venture. At the conclusion of our long relationship, I'm offered up the chance of a lifetime. Fantasy Phone Warning, this episode contains graphic language and sexual content that may not be appropriate for children or their listeners. When I first see Liana walking toward me in a hallway at the Washington, D.C. Hyatt Hotel, I'm immediately struck by how attractive she is. I stop her with no thought of what I'm going to say. So I come up with, hello. There's a hesitation, and I say, I, I just felt compelled to stop you. She throws me a dazzling smile. I pull myself together and ask, are you here for the sculptor's conference? Not exactly a brilliant opening line. She introduces herself as Liana, a fellow sculptor, and she's a beauty. Very long, straight black hair, Mediterranean features with olive skin, a saucy stance, and an ample body. When she stops, she takes off her glasses, which makes me think that I just might be doing okay. Luckily, I have something to entice her with. Two tickets to the most sought-after panel at the conference, entitled Isamo Noguchi, The Artist and the Architect Collaborate. Noguchi is a renowned sculptor. His minimal carved stone sculptures and his sunken gardens are in museum collections all over the world. We go for coffee, and she then takes my arm as we enter the panel discussion, both smiling. The discussion begins with the four world-renowned architects, each extolling the joys of collaborating with Noguchi. The old sculptor then stands and points his finger at each of them, saying, not one of you has the slightest notion of what it means to collaborate. The mostly bearded audience of sculptors applauds. He then goes on to detail the specific ways in which each architect used their control of the budget to manipulate the artist. As he continues, each of them looks down at their water glass in silence, while the audience enthusiasm swells to a crescendo, at which point Noguchi turns and stalks out of the conference room to wild applause. Vienna and I leave in good spirits, and she invites me out for the evening. We drive in her big Dodge cargo van to an outdoor rock concert where vehicles park on the grass to listen to the music. After a bottle of wine and some weed, we have sex, accompanied by the wild music on stage. Everyone is completely into the show, so no one notices that our van is rocking as well. Her home in Alexandria, Virginia, is in a neighborhood of small suburban ranch houses, each of which has a well-manicured front lawn. Hers, however, has completely gone to seed. Tall grass, overgrown bushes, and vines hide her house and her sculpture studio behind it. Her artworks inside are fascinating, eccentric, biomorphic, and sexually explicit. There are cast pieces of fruit that suggest both male and female genitalia, cast bronze phalluses, and cast silicon rubber vulvas. I find her work to be creative, provocative, and very funny. After our studio tour, 
she leads me into her bedroom. I've never been with a woman before who is highly verbal while having sex. Her graphic language is a new experience for me, embarrassing yet completely arousing. We have a great night together, and my re-education continues in the morning after breakfast. This new relationship marks a definite turning point in my sexual life. Spoken erotic language enters the equation. The Corcoran Gallery of Art is a venerable old Beaux-Arts Museum, a stone's throw from the White House. Its patrons are mostly old-school Washingtonian, government-affiliated gentlemen. This is where Leanna brings me as her date to an opening of a group exhibition where she's installed one of her erotic sculptures. It's a formal event, and she's dressed in a long black velvet gown, showing her cleavage to full advantage, and she wears a circular textured cast silver brooch. If anyone asks about it, she answers with a smile that it's a replica of her left nipple. The silver casting captures in exact detail every nook and cranny of her erect nipple and areola. At the museum, Leanna's standout piece, entitled The Beatles, steals the show. She's managed to find a four-foot-tall, thin antique bell jar which sits atop of a white pedestal. Standing within the jar is a white plaster conical phallic column, almost as tall as the jar. Midway up this structure is a ring of what appears to be flowers, but on closer inspection are open female genitalia, all cast from Leanna's body. She stretched a white nylon stocking down over the plaster shaft and cut slits in to expose each of the vulvas. The stocking is held onto the base of the column by four white garter belt straps and hooks. The inside of the bottom of the jar are a collection of large dead black beetles. How to interpret the piece is a puzzle to everyone, including myself, but it undoubtedly describes the unabashed sexuality of its creator. I will never forget the ring of heavy-set, formally-dressed, ruddy-faced good old boys surrounding Leanna, listening to her every word with their tongues hanging out. This is the first time I play second fiddle to her bell of the ball, but not the last. Returning home, she asks, Can I make a cast of your cock? I'm a little taken aback and inquire, why would you want to do that? Well, you see the kind of sculptures that I do. It will be a work of art and a collaboration. I promise it will be a very intimate experience. So how will you do it? I'll slather alginate mold making gel all over your member. And when it hardens and you get less hard, it can easily be pulled off. I then cast a special high-strength plaster into the mold and voila, we have an exact replica of Greg's cock. After I hesitate a minute, she asks, So, is that a yes? Well, I guess so, I stammer. So long as, you know, so long as I'm fully erect and proud of myself when you make the mold. Not a problem, Greggy. Just leave that to me. When I return to New York, I miss Liana immediately. In one of the phone calls that we have every day, she shares, Guess what? I've just taken a new job. Own a phone sex line. Why would you do that? Does it pay well? No, the pay is terrible. But I'm just working there to learn the business. Then I'm going to start my own company. I'm calling it Fantasy Phone. What do you think? Liana, you never cease to amaze me. Now, imagine that I am kneeling at the foot of your bed, 
and I grab each of your ankles and I slowly pull you down the bed while spreading your legs. Then you reach the edge of the bed and you're fully erect. I want you to... Afterwards, I ask, So is that what you do on the phone line? Yeah, but I try all kinds of variations. Otherwise, I go nuts with boredom. I probably get half a dozen guys off every hour. They pay for half hour, but once they orgasm, the call is over. A lot of them are just one-minute wonders. I think to myself, hmm, am I jealous? And I'm not sure if I am or not. This whole new highly sexual relationship with a woman who gets a lot of attention for her exhibitionistic behavior is foreign to me. Part exhilaration and part humiliation. Leanna shares many stories about starting her new business. I think because she's raised a daughter and son all on her own, she's very protective of her new employees, most of whom are single moms. She provides them with health insurance and also pays for the construction of a small soundproof booth or closet in their apartments so the kids can't hear the erotic conversations. The service costs $40 an hour for up to a 30-minute conversation. The employees get $10 of that. I express my misgivings that they only get $10 of the $40 charge. But then she tells me that some of them make as much as $50 an hour, which they're all very happy with. She develops rules for her girls, too, including regulations designed to keep them safe. Giving out personal information, phone numbers, etc., or having direct contact with any clients means immediate suspension. Then there's a book that contains scripts for the girls with sexual scenarios ranging from innocent first-date fantasies to more hardcore conversations. They're forbidden to take part in any fantasies about underage girls or forced sex. Leanna interviews dozens of women and only hires those that are good actors and have the most erotic voices. Fantasy Phone is a big success, and she starts making real money almost immediately. It's a few months before I come to D.C. again, but when I do, she invites me to a celebratory luncheon for the girls who work for her. Surrounding a long table in a restaurant's private function room sit a couple dozen of them. The gathering is to celebrate the publication of a piece about Leanna in the magazine, but no one's happy about the article. While it features Leanna in many glamorous and sexy poses, the writer explains to the readers that while all the girls at Fantasy Phone have beautiful voices and are adept at erotic conversation, in reality, most of them are, quote, unattractive and overweight, end quote. I'm more than happy to raise my glass in a big fuck you toast to the magazine writer and editor. Time passes, and one New Year's Eve, Leanna comes to New York for a softcore film premiere early in the evening. She wears a silver sequin jacket that hangs open, and her naked breasts and erect nipples are completely visible. She's, of course, the center of attention at the premiere while I trail along behind her. What, in fact, the guests are really seeing is a rubber casting of her upper torso, breasts, and belly. Her sculptural tromploy is a real tour de force of conceptual art. The only way the crowd learns that they are not real is when she pushes a button in her pocket that is wired to a pair of red lights that flash on and off inside her rubber nipples. This makes the crowd go wild. There are still, of course, funny moments. When I have an exhibition at the Gallery of the National Academy of Science, Leanna invites me to stay at her sumptuous, newly renovated townhouse in Georgetown. She is traveling abroad on business, 
so I have the place all to myself. At one point, I'm trying to repair one of my sculptures, and I'm opening various drawers because I'm sure that Leanna has a drawer full of tools somewhere. Pulling open one drawer, I'm surprised to find that it's filled with white plaster castings of dozens and dozens of penises. I lay them out on a nearby table to discover that mine is not among them. When I phone Leanna in Europe and ask about my missing penis, she has an explanation. Oh, baby, of course. I travel with it. Leanna is never without a fast answer. One of the joys of the time we spend together are our conversations about art. In particular, our discussions about the technical details of how to make specific works of art. Sadly, this happens less and less over time. As her business takes more and more of her energy, she has less and less time for art, till finally she stops making art altogether. She even loses patience with any sort of art talk. The same is true with sex. She has less and less time for me sexually, and when I let her know that I miss it, she has one of her girls call me, which feels like a real punch in the gut. There seems to be a harshness growing in Liana, and my guess is that it has to do with years of working as a woman in a very tough business. This week, we're at a big porn conference in Las Vegas, which I have been dreading. I joined her here once before, and this one is even bigger, cruder, and more tasteless. Leanna is, of course, the bell of the ball, and I just follow behind her, this time at a greater distance, because there's always a crowd around her. In our suite at the Rio, I overhear her end of some conversations that are really troubling. No, she's fired. Everyone has problem with their kids, and that's not my problem. Then there's... If you can't live up to your side of a deal, do me a fucking favor and just get lost. And finally, I'm really shocked to hear... I'm canceling their health insurance because I'm a business, not a charity. And if I'm going to sell the business, there's nothing more important at this moment than the bottom line. Over time, I too become the victim of her hard-ass fury. After she sells the business and her ranch house in Alexandria, she buys a beautiful 200-acre horse farm in Virginia. Now, because she has a lot more time on her hands, I'm surprised to get a phone call from her out of the blue, and even more surprised to hear that she misses me. In one call, after we chit-chat a bit, she goes on to say, Greg, I have a proposal for you. With the four million that I got from the cell fantasy phone and my existing savings, I'm pretty much set for the rest of my life. How about I give you one of my barns for your sculpture studio and you move in with me here? I'll support you a hundred percent, baby. All you have to do is make art and enjoy yourself. I pause for a moment before answering and she continues. Come on, what do you say? I respond, Leanna, I've never ever been a kept man and I'm afraid that I'm too set in my ways to start now. Also, I'm a big believer that there's really no such thing as a free lunch. So I'm sorry, baby. Thank you. But I have to decline your generous offer. Sadly, that was our last conversation. Yet every year on my birthday, I get a phone call from a different woman, each with an extremely sexy voice. Hi, is this Greg? When I answer yes, they continue... You don't know me, but I really want to fuck your brains out. I answer back with a smile and say, Thanks, but no thanks. And please, 
Don't take my saying no personally. Oh, and by the way, say hello to Leanna for me. When I started to write this story, I searched for Leanna Pinker and found no social media presence, nothing in the way of public records, no magazine or newspaper clippings, and no obituary. After 20 years, I couldn't find any trace of her. Then it occurred to me that if you're a celebrity, particularly one in the porn industry, you might want to disappear and avoid all your porn star followers for good. And if you're wealthy, it's just a matter of paying the right people to completely scrub your online footprint in much the same way that agents of certain federal agencies can create a completely new online identity for someone before they disappear into a witness protection program. Sometimes, particularly in the middle of the night, in the midst of some financial worries, I find myself musing that if Leanna retired to some secret place with her new identity and her money, maybe her hard-ass demeanor would simply melt away as she got further from the porn business. Maybe I made a big mistake not taking that free ride for the rest of my life, after all. The characters and events portrayed in this podcast are based on my truth, with some names and facts changed for privacy. All conversations and dialogues are based on my best memory, but are not word-for-word recreations. The Compulsive Storyteller is written and narrated by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kokoma, who's also made our theme song. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And also, if you could leave a review, that would be fantastic. Follow the show on Instagram, at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more information at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening, and if you don't like this one, the next one will be another story. (laughs) ¶¶